Hi, this is Colin McCallan. Thank you for listening. Please do us a favor and leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you. Welcome to Is This Legal? Here are your hosts, attorneys Colin McCallan and Russell Hebbets. Hello, everyone out there. This is Colin McCallan, and as, as always, I'm joined with my partner, Russell Hebbets. Russ, how you doing today, man? I'm having a good day. Hello, everyone out there. Yeah, I'm also having a good day. Uh, recording from Denver, Colorado, we just found out that Russell Wilson's going to be our quarterback, so that's put me in a pretty good mood. Uh, how about you, Russ? You excited about that? I'm not an old school. I'm a transplant, so I'm not an old school Broncos fan, but I like to have uh, you, a good home team. That's right. We and brought so, you around, haven't we? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to have the Broncos be good, and I think Russell Wilson is the guy. Yeah, so we shall wait and see. Um, what are we talking about today? Well, um, we are also, you know, setting the timeline here for when we're talking about this. We're about three to four weeks into the Russian invasion of Ukraine here in uh, early 2022. Um, you were kind of watching this whole thing unfold as is the rest of the world. Um, and this being a legal podcast, you know, we're always looking for the angle, right? And we're always looking for that. Hey, wh- wh- where's that niche? Where, where, where can Russ and I get uh, all, is this legal up in this affair? And it, we did start thinking about the, uh, the international criminal court. Uh, cause, um, as we're looking at this conflict, this invasion going on, we're seeing horrific images. We're hearing horrific stories about um, abuses being inflicted uh, to the Ukrainian people. And, you know, that got us thinking, well, is, is, there, is there any mechanism out there, legal right. or otherwise, where justice can be done against would-be offenders, against war criminals, Russ? Is, is there a recourse for the Ukrainian people who are having these atrocities committed against right. them? And uh, so we decided that we would take a good look at the International Criminal Court um, because this is a international legal tribunal uh, with about 123 member states that has jurisdiction to prosecute things like genocide, things like war crimes, crimes against humanity, crimes against aggression. We're going to talk about that later. And so we thought, okay, um, if there is this body does it actually threaten Vladimir Putin? Does it Vladimir? Uh, does Vladimir? Does it? Does it threaten Russian soldiers uh, on the ground? What is the scope of the jurisdiction, and how concerned should Russia be about this? And so let's let's dive in here. Let's go back a little bit and set some some context for this, because you know the idea of war crimes goes back far before the International Criminal Court. I mean, there's there's examples all throughout history. The very first, I don't know if you knew this, Colin, but the very first person tried for a war crime was in the Holy Roman Empire in 1474. Uh, a knight by the name of Peter von Hagenbach, who was apparently in charge of soldiers who committed war crimes, who committed atrocities against civilians. He was brought to trial. At trial, his defense was, 
I was only following orders. Oh, I thought his defense was going to be, I had my, my, my face shield down the whole time, so <laughs> you couldn't even tell it was me. I, I just had that little slit. I couldn't see what was going on. I have no idea what, what these people were doing. I'm on my doing. horse with my joust. How do you expect me to be responsible for my actions? <laughs> I don't know if it's, it's javelin, right? But the joust is what you is, actually the, do. Is that the verb? That's the, the verb. Okay, but the, 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 the thing that he holds, that long spear is a lance. That's it. It's a lance. The, like That's where Lancelot came from, probably. He lances a lot. <laughs> he was always out there lancing things. You guys are getting nuggets of history with your legal knowledge. I tell you. Like, I'm dropping dimes over here. All the way back to uh, the round table. <laughs> King Arthur but, was there. I, I, I assume you're getting to him. Yes, yes. I mean, well, right. You, I'll, I'll, I'll sit back and wait. Go ahead. Go ahead. I don't want, want to interrupt. He sat at the head of the round table. <laughs> <laughs> so, so going to Peter, back to Peter von. It's an old one, but a good one, man. <laughs> back to Peter von Hagenbach. That defense that I was only following orders, much as it does not fly today, did not fly then. He was convicted and he was beheaded. Wow. Okay. So, so, so they didn't have the Eighth Amendment cruel and unusual punishment back then. Well, I feel like that's a pretty clean way to, <laughs> to end it. <laughs> you know I mean, it's a little, yeah, I guess it's a little less feel, messy than a firing squad or yeah, it's, it's better yeah, than hanging. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Okay. So anyway, that's a whole nother podcast. So, so throughout history, like starting with poor Peter, um, you know, U.S. Civil War, the Union soldiers had the Lieber Code, which governed the conduct of war, the Geneva Conventions, which were adopted and expanded between 1864 and 1949. Those laid out conduct of war and appropriate conduct. So all of this stuff is happening, and it leads up to 2002 and the Rome Convention. Right, Colin? Right. So... This this Rome Treaty is it, that was signed in 2002 was essentially the birth and creation of the International Criminal Court. Um, now this Rome uh, this Rome Treaty uh, it, it had its roots in the United Nations, Russ, uh, back in the in the early uh, the late 80s uh, and throughout the 90s. The UN for years had been trying to establish a um, international criminal court that could address these very things we were talking about, uh, war crimes, genocide, um, just, just crimes against humanity, those types of things that were not otherwise prosecuted. I mean, there, there were people who maybe had been exiled uh, after their regime change, after doing unspeakable things to their citizens, but they'd never faced responsibility um, in terms of like a court of law. So the UN created uh, essentially this a court now, interestingly enough, um, its jurisdiction has severe limitations, okay? First of all, this court does not have a police force, right? I mean, you know, right. here in Colorado, <laughs> the way that crime works and pretty much across the United States is you've got the police who investigate crime. If they believe a crime has been committed, they, uh, they will file paperwork with a court saying, hey, this person broke the law. Uh, we want you to summon this person to appear in front of uh, the court and answer for their charges. And if they don't, um, they can be jailed, right? Right. right. Um, we do not have that enforcement body at all in the International Criminal Court. So the uh, their jurisdiction essentially relies on their member states to produce their defendants say, here, go ahead and prosecute this person. Yeah, they, so, they rely on cooperation. Right. So what they do is they basically say, okay, we've investigated this. We find that there's enough to indict this person for war crimes. Then they put it out there and any member states, they say, hey, if you happen to see 
uh, you know, Peter von Hagenbach, <laughs> go ahead and arrest him, right. please. And then, and then go ahead and also transport him to the Hague because that's where this is based in Netherlands. Um, fun fact, people, the Hague is actually a city <laughs> and it's not like some justice center. <laughs> Russ and I, just to show you our ignorance on this topic, uh, uh, we, we had no idea that the Hague was a city in the Netherlands. We both thought it, when you hear of the Hague, and it is the Hague. Um, I mean, which let's be frank, it throws people off, right? We don't call Denver, the Denver, (laughs) the Denver, Colorado, but that's what they call it. They they call it the Hague. It's not a building. It is a city. Uh, That is where the international uh, criminal court is held. Yeah. Neither of us knew that. So, (laughs) so, um, so, so anyway, that's, that's how they're initiated. That's how these things are initiated is through, um, cooperation through the member states. Now, that that brings us to uh, it begs the question, Colin. What states are in this? And by states, we're talking about countries, right? I mean, you know, I'm sure the listener is kind of out there thinking they're nodding their head along with this, saying, "Gosh, what a great idea!" You know, this is a this this is this cool, uh, multinational, um, kind of uh, globally centric court that's trying to bring these atrocious leaders responsible. So gosh, the U- United States must just have a clear role as a leader in this. Right. You would uh, think so. Uh, <laughs> guess what? Guess who's not even a member? Uh, I, I, I said 123 countries, United States, not a member of the International Criminal Court. Uh, Ukraine, not a member of the ICC. Russia, want to take a guess, Russ? Well, just just judging from uh, Russia's autocratic slant, <laughs> I'm going to say they're not a member of the ICC. Yeah, that's 0 for 3. Um, now, so so that may surprise people out there. Like, why, why would uh, the United States, this beacon of liberty and justice in the world, why aren't we members of the ICC? And there, there are actually several reasons, Russ. And it's interesting because this can be broken down by president. I'm not going to do that. But um, basically, the, the issues that the United States seem to have with the International Criminal Court is, number one, they say they don't, do, uh, they don't preserve enough due process rights. Okay, that's one concern they have. For example, in the International Criminal Court, I'm just going to start calling it the ICC. Um, you get no jury trial, Russ. Uh, there's no speedy trial, meaning you can be arrested and you could be held in detention for a long time. And that's a big one. And we've done a podcast on this. Like that, that is a huge, just uh, that that hugely curtails someone's rights. You could literally be arrested and then be just growing old in jail while your kids grow up, while life happens without having charges brought. And that's something the U.S. has speedy trial built into every criminal prosecution so that malicious prosecutors, malicious law enforcement cannot just shelve someone, just warehouse someone without proving their guilt. Well, you, you mentioned malicious prosecution because that's that's yet kind of another thing that the United States has always been wary of when it comes to the ICC. Again, like most prosecutions, uh, a lot of these can be politically motivated. Um, and that's one thing the United States has been very careful of. They, they, they don't want the ICC to be used as kind of a political entity where we're going to prosecute people who are aligned with certain values and reward those who have different values. They 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 want to stay clear of those conflicts. Well, and and uh, I mean, I'll tell you, you know, that's the U.S. perspective. Other people from around the country, and we have some international listeners. Singapore, I'm I'm looking at you, that's right. Singapore. Um, you know, from their perspective, 
we we don't want to be beholden to other countries' justice. That's well, it, and that, what a perfect segue again, Russ, into another reason that the, the United States really is skeptical of the ICC. Americans believe we can prosecute anybody better than anyone else, and so you know it, when it comes to. Let's just say we have an American soldier who abroad commits a terrible, unspeakable act against maybe a refugee or an innocent child or something like that. We want to bring that person back and prosecute him as a U.S. citizen in our own uh, our own court system. Right. We don't want to turn that affair over to an international body uh, that may be inconsistent with our U.S. Constitution. So um, really where we're at, where the United States is at on this is, is we kind of have a, a view that the ICC doesn't apply to the United States. It, we're not a member to it. We believe our, our uh, United States Constitution actually uh, gives us sovereignty to run these prosecutions and excludes the ICC. We don't recognize them as a legitimate foreign tribunal in this. So, and that is America's position, but Really interestingly, like I have a good friend who is an Air Force pilot, and we have talked about, hey, what happens if you're flying a combat mission and you're asked to, you know, bomb a building, shoot a missile at a building, like, aren't you afraid that you're taking out civilians? And his response was, I have to be 100% sure that I'm not doing that, regardless of my orders, because I don't want to be brought up on war crimes charges. Right. So, you know, despite the fact that the U.S. is not a part of the ICC, despite the fact that, you know, we would try to avoid having any of our service people prosecuted in the ICC, we still tell our military, our military is trained to be extraordinarily careful to not commit war crimes. Right. That's, a, that's, that's interesting. How is Maverick doing, by the way? I mean, he's doing well. He's doing well. You know, he's, is he he's, still he's, an instructor? At, uh, he in still Miramar? feels the need, <laughs> the yep. need for speed. Good. Uh, thanks for finishing the quote, though. Uh, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I was waiting for you, but you, you clearly were not on the ball. <laughs> okay, so... Um, You're dangerous. <laughs> nice, man. So we do... So we have this court... Um, let's talk a little bit more about jurisdiction. So you, we've talked about the fact that the uh, United States is not a member. Well, um, for the members that actually do participate, and, and, and it's a large number of the world. I mean, most European countries are in it. Most South American countries are in it. Um, for, the, for the countries that do participate, here's where the jurisdiction for this court lies. Basically, they can prosecute any, uh, any of the following, we talked about genocide, war crimes, crimes against humanity, that would include torture, kidnapping, sexual assault, things like that, um, crimes of aggression. If there is alleged to have been a crime committed by um, somebody, uh, that person can be brought to justice in the ICC if the act happened in one of these member states or if the actor is of the nationality of one of these member states. So uh, that gives them a lot of jurisdiction. And it, and it's what's called universal jurisdiction, which means that that jurisdiction covers anywhere on, on earth, right. essentially. Yep, like exactly. There's, there's no excluded areas. And real quick, before we go on, fun fact, anyone here who plays the game Cards Against Humanities, <laughs> did you know the dark, 
dark underpinnings, the basis of that game. I mean, you're talking about essentially war crimes. That's where it got its name. So next time you play Cards Against Humanities, I mean, you know, take a moment to pour out a little bit of your drink because I know you're drinking when you're playing. Wow. Thank you for linking that up, Russ. You're you're welcome. Um, (laughs) I don't don't know how I follow that, but I'm going to try. So, um, I mean, I guess let's talk about one of the limitations here. I've got plenty of criticisms about the ICC. We're going to save that for after the, uh, after we take a break to play, is this legal? But, um, one of the things is this is still an in-person court. Okay, what I mean by that is the court requires the defendant or the accused or the suspect to be brought in front of this this you know body in the Hague, not the building, but the city. Right. Um, and and so how does the person get there? Okay, I mean let's think about this just for a second in terms of Vladimir Putin. Let's just assume for a moment that the court actually somehow had jurisdiction over this matter and could somehow issue an arrest warrant for Putin. Does it mean that they just kind of put out an APB to all the countries in the world and say, hey, if you see this man, <laughs> uh, please? Go ahead and put him in handcuffs and bring him to the Hague so that we can um, properly uh, adjudicate this person. I mean, I think that's what they do. <laughs> but like, we'll we'll get to whether like Putin has any shot of being held responsible for war crimes, and we'll talk about whether war crimes were committed uh, according to the news we have right now. And we'll talk a little bit about how the ICC has worked in the past. But first, Colin, let's go ahead and take our break and play. Is this legal? We'll be back after the break. All right. It is my honor to introduce today's guest slash contestant, Jeremy Cox. Jeremy is a full-time faculty instructor in the fine woodworking program at Red Rocks Community College. As a teaching artist of studio furniture, he creates furniture that incorporates sculpture and traditional woodworking techniques. Uh, Prior to joining Red Rocks, he taught woodworking and furniture design at George Washington University. I have been in his studio. In fact, I think we can see it in his background. I've seen his stuff. He is a true artist and can fashion just about anything out of a hunk of wood, and it will (laughs) always look aesthetically beautiful. And if that didn't keep him busy enough, uh, his four kids do, especially his two twins who are two and a half years old. So please uh, give a warm welcome to Jeremy Cox. How are you doing, Jeremy? Well, that was that was great. the uh, The introduction was exhausting. I think I'm going to need a nap just by hearing uh, what you're proposing. But well, I'm doing I made most up most of it. I mean, I know that you're not really a woodworker, but uh, we will. Jeremy, welcome. You can you can go to and lie down with your uh, two year olds for the nap. You you shouldn't taunt me. Yes, that will definitely be what happens the second we hang up. But thank you. So Thanks for Jeremy, having me. Uh, Jeremy is a friend of the show. He's listened to us a few times. Uh, unfortunately for him, but. Uh, Jeremy, you know how this works. Tell us, uh, do you have any legal stories that you could share with our listeners that uh, happened to you personally? Well, so it's uh, legal uh, adjacent. So not a specific story for me, but I was um, involved with jury selection here in Denver. And so- uh, Not for your case, but for someone else's. Let's be clear, right? Okay. So, So I was on the jury. I was a potential juror. And so we were escorted upstairs and um, um, everybody at that point has a sinking feeling about, oh, this could actually be a thing. I might actually have to be a juror for this instead of, you know, just staying downstairs and saying you're released. 
so uh, upstairs going through the process, my number was called. We sat up in the jury box, and, um, and then both the prosecution and defense asked questions uh, publicly, which I thought was awkward. But uh, going through this process, there was a, uh, a question from the defense attorney who uh, <laughs> uh, was asking me if uh, selected as a juror and um, there was a dispute with respect to one way or the other from leading of guilt or innocence. And uh, he said, if it's a Friday afternoon at 445, um, would you ask the hard questions, continue that 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 uh, conversation, or would you do what you can to kind of wrap this up and, and go on your way and enjoy your weekend? And so in that moment, I, I said, well, it sounds like you're describing the, the plot summary of 12 Angry Men. And uh, there was, there was <laughs> laughter in the stadium. Everybody kind of understood that's all right. Uh, we're doing this thing. But I, I said, yeah, no, we're we're going to be doing this. If I'm on the jury, um, somebody's liberties are at stake. I, I want to make sure to do this to this honor. And um, so anyway, so first, I, good I, job, I, Jeremy. Way, oh, well, way thank to, you. Way to yeah. take the, the high road. <laughs> Yeah, that was the right answer. I mean, see, you're already getting questions, right? <laughs> oh, lovely. Well, that was all I have uh, for tonight. Back to <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, so we go through this process, and there are several other questions asked, and uh, and then the defense has the option of releasing people without reason, and uh, and my name was one of the first. And in that moment, there was an audible gasp in the room because people recognized that I wanted to be here. This is the reason that I'm trying to do civic duties and so on and so forth. And uh, so they were kind of shocked that they were going to let me out. And I, I hung out until the jury was selected and I wanted to talk to the prosecuting attorney. And so I, I walked out with him and uh, he said, yeah, listen, um, it's rare to have people with advanced educations uh, selected typically in these type of cases. And so I said, oh, well, I wish I would have known that hours ago. That would have saved me a day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Why are they letting this guy go? <laughs> right. I, li- I, I, like, want- I like the prosecutor's response. Uh, listen, man, you're, you're just way too smart to be. You're sure. right. Uh, <laughs> well, well, that's. That is an isolated incident. That would be the first and last time anybody's ever accused me of being smart. But yeah, that was that was the reason he gave. Well, Jeremy, the question is, are you too smart for this week's scenario in Is This Legal? Because it is now time to play. So, Jeremy, I know you've been a listener before. You know how this goes. I am going to read you a scenario. At the end, I'm going to ask you, is this legal? And you give us your best guess, and we will either cheer you and, you know, you're the smartest man in the room, or it was an off day, okay? <laughs> yeah, this is a lot of pressure already. I'm, I'm nervous. Um, <laughs> worry, there there are no uh, winners, and is, is this legal? There are no winners and losers, but, but there are people who don't get the question right, and we, mm-hmm. we <laughs> call them losers and we mock them, but there are no winners and losers, okay? No problem. All right. right. Lay it on him, Russ. Are you ready, Jeremy? Yeah, please. Let me have it. Okay. Our good friends, Jebediah and Cornelius, after a brief reconciliation, are back to their old adversarial relationship. For anyone out there who hasn't followed the saga between these two, suffice it to say that they are two guys who don't get along. Cornelius has leveled yet another allegation against Jebediah. Recently, Cornelius's son was kidnapped by a masked man. Colin, what's the name of this man's son? Oh, 
uh, we came up with this recent Joseph, Josephat, Jumpin' Jehoshaphat. Josephat <laughs> it is with a PH. So Josephat was taken to Florida where the masked man tried ransoming Josephat back to Cornelius. Clearly, this ploy failed since Cornelius is perpetually broke and didn't have the money to pay a ransom even if he could. Josephat was returned unharmed and Cornelius accused Jebediah of being the masked kidnapper. The case went to trial in state court and Jebediah was acquitted. Cornelius, being tenacious if nothing else, called his friend Myrtle at the U.S. Attorney's Office and convinced her to prosecute Jebediah in federal court, even after being found not guilty in state court. Jebediah objected to the federal charges based on the legal theory of double jeopardy, stating that you can't be tried for the same crime twice. Jeremy, can the prosecution move forward or should the case be dismissed because Jebediah had already been acquitted of the exact same crime in state court? Wow. Wow, this is a good one. And I I really feel like I could have done more research on this, but I have seen the movie that shares the name Double Jeopardy um, with actually <laughs> Judd. I feel like I should be ready with this. Um, I, I'm going to say, no, he cannot be tried again for the same crime or allegation, but I think there's a loophole here in going from state to federal court. I think it is plausible that this, this could be an option to be tried at a federal uh, court level. Okay, so you have two guesses there. Which one are you going with, Jeremy? I'm going with, yes, it is plausible to be tried at the federal level. Yay! Yay! Jeremy, you nailed it! We have a winner. This is amazing. Yeah, wow. that's, uh, so that is absolutely <laughs> correct. I mean, in fact, that I don't really know if it requires much further explanation other than, you know, this is the concept of double jeopardy um, to, that does protect you from uh, being tried in the same jurisdiction for the same charges. Uh, but in this particular case, uh, we specifically laid out the difference between the fact there were state charges versus federal charges. Federal, they have their own procedures, their own rules, their own statutes. And even though the same conduct landed you in both courtrooms, you can be tried twice. So well done, Jeremy. Well, well done. Uh, you know, my, my tombstone language has just been written. Uh, winner <laughs> on is this legal? I love it. What awesome. you need to do now actually is, you know, you need, you need to take your woodworking skills and you need to chisel out one of those cool little gavels that judges have and just put that on your mantle. Cause you just earned it, buddy. Is that all it takes to become a judge? Or not? Maybe, <laughs> Heck that's all it takes to become a lawyer. It, it seems like it sometimes, Jeremy, <laughs> <laughs> it does seem like it sometimes. I love this. Well, I love well this. done Russ. Well done. <laughs> But right, Jeremy, well, Jeremy, really well done. And just, just to let you know, and for anyone out there listening, we actually are going to be doing a whole podcast on Double Jeopardy coming up. So for anyone who did not get that one right, who for anyone who is not as on the ball as Jeremy, we're going to have a whole podcast on it. And you're going to get to really hone your Double Jeopardy knowledge. And you'll be able to answer that question at any cocktail party coming up. That's right. Well done, Jeremy. Uh, anything, any, any final thoughts before you want to leave the show? Well, you know, I, I wasn't sure how this was going to go, but I did want to brag a little bit because I had a slightly unfair advantage just because of my decades of um, um, law and order 
uh, episode. So I, uh, this was kind of a gimme. Next time, if there is next time, uh, you might want to up the ante a little bit. Oh, oh well, all right. <laughs> Did you hear that, Russ? Oh, yeah, the golf we got a ringer here. Thrown down. <laughs> listen, listen. Uh, all of those attorneys have made all kinds of mistakes, and so I, I learned quickly from from their mistakes. <laughs> awesome, man. We, we will keep that in mind. And uh, if and when we have you back on, we will up our game for you. <laughs> we'll, we'll bring you a tough one, Jeremy. Jeremy, thank you so much for being on. It's been a pleasure. We really appreciate it. Have the a good pleasure night. is mine. Really appreciate all the great content on your podcast. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Take care. Okay, welcome back. And now we are going to be talking about, we're just going to give you guys concrete examples of what constitutes a war crime. We're going to talk about how that does or does not apply to Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. And we're going to see, does that all tie into Vladimir Putin? And is he going to be held criminally responsible for anything that happens in the Ukraine during this invasion? So let's start off, Colin, with what is a war crime? So I don't know. You tell me. All right. Well, here we go. So there's war crimes... There's, there's some obvious ones that you would, you would know are war crimes, but it could be kind of anything where you're not conducting yourself in a war in a way that is essentially, for lack of a better term, like equitable, fair, um, you know, moral. It's obvious for everybody, right? Yeah. So, so here's like an ex- some examples would be attacking soldiers under a flag of truce. Right. So you're coming here to talk like these meetings that the Russians and Ukrainians have had in Belgrade. If the Russians just annihilate the Ukrainian envoys there, that's a war crime. Right. Okay. Using chemical or biological weapons. Right. That is a war crime. Torture or execution of prisoners of war. War crimes. These people have surrendered. Any sexual violence by troops. Right. Right. War crimes. Here, a lot of these are outlined uh, by the Geneva Convention, right, Russ? Yes. And, and so the, the Geneva Convention, of course, as we know, Geneva is a building, not a city <laughs> in Switzerland. And that's where they got together and have right. conventions, like in the building. It's, and it's the they, convention center? Oh, are you it's telling me? Wait a minute. You're, you're looking at me funny. Do I have that wrong? Okay. So Geneva, Switzerland. <laughs> But the, the, there's the Geneva Convention. We've all heard of that. That is that, that's a, a treaty that has outlined what is a war crime and what do we, as these committee members, decide this crosses the line, this yes. doesn't cross the line, kind of Ex- thing, right? Exactly. And the ICC kind of expand adopted and then expanded that too. So mm-hmm. so here's some that now now we get to some which are going to be more relevant to what is purportedly happening in the Ukraine. Targeting hospitals, schools, or historic monuments, targeting civilians, or looting. So those are things that all have been alleged to have been done by Russian troops in the Ukraine. I mean, Russia has hit schools, hospitals, kindergartens, an orphanage, residential buildings. They They have been bombing humanitarian corridors, which is for people to have a safe access to flee, to have civilians flee, right? So in order for war crime charges to be brought based on those things, like the the ICC Geneva Convention doesn't say you can never kill a civilian and if you kill a, kill a civilian, you're guilty, right? But it has to say that you are either targeting civilians deliberately or 
you're disproportionately killing civilians when the military objective is small or non-existent, right? Right. So like you can't, let's say there's a military Humvee parked and you go ahead in the middle of a city and you go ahead and cluster bomb one radius of a mile around that Humvee. You can't say that's a military objective and therefore I'm not guilty of war crimes, right? right? So there is a lot of evidence that Russia is either deliberately targeting civilians or civilian buildings or specifically these, these corridors where people are supposed to be fleeing. Another thing that Russia has done is they've cut water and power to cities that they've taken. That in and of itself is probably not a war crime, but if it rises to a level where you're intentionally starving civilians or causing conditions where they can't survive, that is a war crime right. under the ICC. Okay. The last one is looting. Looting is clearly a war crime. You can't loot. This isn't, you know, Viking sacking and pillaging. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are multiple reports of Russians just going into these cities, these suburbs of Kiev, and just robbing robbing houses, robbing businesses. So any of those, if proven, would be war crimes. All right, Russ. Well, I mean, so that sounds like the kind of stuff that the ICC would have jurisdiction over. Can you tell our listeners, just can you give us a snapshot of some of the people that the ICC, notable prosecutions that they've been involved with? There have been some, there have been a handful of very notable prosecutions. So the ICC has prosecuted uh, former Serbian president Slobodan Milosevic, and that was, he was charged with genocide, crimes against humanity, um, and that is regarding the, his, his activities in Bosnia and Croatia. That did not get to trial, or it did not, yeah, it didn't get to trial. He died in custody in 2006. Okay. Um, Former Liberian president Charles Taylor was charged in the ICC. Maybe the biggest name, Muammar Gaddafi, right. was charged. And Gaddafi, again, died in 2011 before he could stand trial for his war crimes. In fact, the only really notable one who was that a lot of people would know was convicted was Liberian president Charles Taylor. He was convicted in the ICC for aiding and abetting crimes against humanity. Okay. All right. Um, what I, one thing I didn't hear there was that no head of state of a nuclear power has ever been detained or prosecuted by the ICC. Is that correct? That's correct. The, uh, you know, the, uh, German and Japanese heads of state after world war two, were charged, um, but they obviously were not nuclear powers. Well, and obviously that would have happened before 2002, before the ICC. Yes. That might have been... Um, yeah, that that was... They were charged with war crimes, but you're right. It was not through the uh, ICC. So, <clears throat> you know, admittedly, you know, R- R- Russ and I are experts when it comes to Colorado law and U.S. law. You know, we, we had to do our research for this podcast, this being international law. This is not something that we deal with um, every day. And so a lot of the facts that we learn about this tribunal are, are very interesting and new to us. And, and honestly, <laughs> uh, as Russ and I were preparing this podcast, uh, I, I mean, I, I have my own criticisms of uh, of how this court operates, of, of its lack of power in certain areas. And I wanted to talk about some of those things. Uh, because there are problems with the ICC, and the more I learn about it, I, I, I am I am getting at least more 
uh, comfortable with the idea that the United States has decided to abstain from membership of this thing. Now, let's talk about a few of those. We, we've hit on some of the due process issues. No uh, right to trial by jury. I mean, that's an American bedrock institution. We really, really believe in that. So the decisions in the ICC are made of a, made up of a group of judges. There's 18 judges that are elected by the member states, okay? And no judge, there, there aren't... <clears throat> There's not more than one judge of the same nationality. Does that make sense? So, um, you know, it's a very diverse panel, but judges are making, they they are the fact finders, which means that they decide what is true and what is false based on the evidence that the prosecutor presents. And they're also the ones that handle appeals internally. There's no independent court that reviews their decision. Um, so that's one big problem. Another big problem, Russ, these guys work at a glacier pace, okay? No speedy trial statute. Um, these guys take a long time with their with both their investigations and the actual trials that they uh, preside over. Russ, this body has been around since 2022. They have been involved in a total of 45 prosecutions, only six of those resulted in convictions where the offender has actually done time. Um, You mentioned a couple of those. I mean, some people have been acquitted. Some people have died while awaiting their uh, fate. Um, But Well, because that wait's long. Right, exactly. (laughs) It's, you you, you know, in Colorado, you have a six months right to a speedy trial. That means from the minute you plead not guilty, you have to be tried within six months of your not guilty plea. Most other states have, have similar, if not shorter, speedy trial statutes. Not so in the ICC. Russ, there's this, uh, here's, a, here's a $6 word for you. Complementarity is a notion that they look at at the ICC. Complementarity is a jurisdictional issue. The ICC can only prosecute crimes that other nations refuse to prosecute. So I mentioned, what if there's a U.S. soldier who commits an atrocity, okay? The only way the ICC would have jurisdiction, number one, is if the U.S. is a member state, which we're not. Even if we were, though, uh, complementarity, this notion of complementarity would prevent a prosecution from the ICC because the United States would say, no, we want to prosecute that person here. Um, Basically, the host nation gets the right of first refusal. The ICC is only going to bring a criminal prosecution if, if the other states involved decide not to. And there could be a host of political reasons why one state is, a member state is not making a prosecution, yet what the ICC wants to. That gets to my next criticism. This court is extremely political. Right. Um, you know, there, there is an elected prosecutor. The member states elect the prosecutor who represents this, this body of 123 states. You know, as you can imagine, there's a lot of strife. There's a lot of backdoor politics in terms of who that person's going to be and what types of crimes they decide they're going to prosecute. Right. I mean, I mean, anything that is set up internationally like this, this that has geopolitical implications. I mean, all you have to look at is the uh, Olympic International Olympic right. Committee, the IOC. <laughs> that's, <laughs> like, that's a great point. Right? Like how how useless is that right. as as a as a committee that actually fosters fairness and equity? And again, it's one of those ideas. It sounds utopian. It right. sounds like something that we should have, but in terms of its function. Right. There's just a lot of dysfunction in terms of how it's going to operate, a lot of politics involved. So the same is true of the ICC. And when 
you know, when, when you don't have your own enforcement mechanism, when you don't have your ICC police who are able to go in and uh, apprehend people uh, who are you, you've indicted or who are facing prosecution, it really limits your power. Yeah. So in this case, like, let's say- Come well, back first, to Russia? Yeah. Well, yeah. So come back to Russia. So we said earlier that US, Russia, Ukraine, none of them are members. Yet- the ICC is currently investigating Russian actions in the Ukraine. Has been since 2014 at the Ukraine's request. There's, there it is. So they, so they do have jurisdiction, uh, not for the reasons that we've been talking about. Again, none of these countries that we've been talking about are member states. But back in 2014, uh, Ukraine, through one of the loopholes in, <laughs> I, in I, the didn't, ICC. I didn't look it up, but there, there's an article in the ICC, which basically allows a non-member state to allow for the ICC to come and investigate certain atrocities. Ukraine did that back in 2014. So technically Russia has been under investigation for the last eight years. Okay. Yeah. But again, I think you were about to go to the next level. Let's just assume for a moment that, uh, that they have jurisdiction and that they have uh, found evidence of war crimes going on in the Ukraine. What can they do about it? Right. And, and there's, there's ample evidence of that. And so here's what they could do. They can say, okay, we have investigated. We have found that war crimes were committed as the leader of the nation committing the war crimes. We're going to, we're going to go ahead and find that Vladimir Putin directed troops and was responsible ultimately. And therefore we're going to put out a warrant. And we're going to put out a warrant and, hey, everyone out there, it's like an APB that we talked about, all points bulletin, any countries be on the lookout for Vladimir Putin. So, of course, then uh, Vladimir Putin is just going to, oh, gosh, there's a warrant for my arrest. Jeez, I must have missed my court date. I better I better show up and turn myself into The Hague. Yeah. Uh, is that going to happen, Russ? So, so he absolutely- Of course is, it's not going to happen. It's, it's never going to happen. So what, but here, here's what could happen. Like, you know, theoretically, what The Hague is hoping is that when Vladimir Vladimir Putin travels because he doesn't stay holed up in Russia. Obviously, in Russia, nothing's going to happen. They hope when he goes somewhere that some brave, brave state is going to try to arrest him. Yeah, and and they do have the power. If, if you're a member state and you're not allowed to harbor a, fu- a fugitive that is the subject of the jurisdiction of, of the ICC. So, um, if you know, basically, this could only this could come to fruition if if Putin traveled outside of Russia. Again, assuming for a moment that the ICC actually felt like they had enough to charge Putin directly right. with a war crime. Um, you know. Th- if he stays in Russia, most likely there will never be a prosecution. Uh, I, I mean, I, I truly, I don't think there's ever going to be a prosecution of Putin um, unless there is a regime change, unless he's exiled, right. unless he's on the run, unless uh, there's a revolution. Well, and that's how most of these other people that you know I went through who were charged in the ICC, that's how they ended up there. Yeah, you know, they exactly they they were subjects of a revolution, or they lost power, right. or you know, were right. on the run. Um, and so, so if if the Russians have an uprising. And I mean, Russians do know how to revolt. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if that happens and Putin gets knocked out of power, then I think there is a chance of him actually coming and answering to war crimes charges. Absent that, I agree with you. I think that there is virtually zero chance that he's going to have to face these charges. And this is probably not even remotely on his mind. So, 
There you go. There's a little snapshot of the International Criminal Court, how it works, some of its uh, powers, some of its uh, limitations, and um, I guess why Russ and I are not necessarily seeing that that's going to be the, the the beacon of hope for the Ukrainian people right now. So, um, but it is interesting, nevertheless, and you know, we of course will continue to watch um, this. Uh, yeah, you know, this invasion, this really sad story unfold. Um, our hopes and prayers with the U- Ukrainian people. Um, but uh, let's, I think we should close things out on a much lighter note, shouldn't we, Russ? Sounds right to me. I think it's time for... D-C-O-T-W! The oh. Dumb Criminal of the Week! Yeah. As always. So I feel like over the past pretty much every episode that we have ever had, we, we've been a little biased as to location, Colin. We've been picking on Florida a lot. Picked on Florida a lot. Picked a little bit on Texas. Yeah. Um, well, this time, just to prove that we are fair-minded individuals. To prove that we are not living in a glass house, if you will. Right. Here's a stone. <laughs> <laughs> and this stone is landing right here in Colorado. Here we go, man. So this just happened. So anyone who is uh, in Colorado listening. Yeah, let's change names to protect the innocent or slash guilty. Um, <laughs> I actually don't have the guy's name. Oh, ha- good. Hasn't been released. This is, this is Fred, uh, fresh off the presses. But it made some local news because in Colorado, in order to get up to Summit County, where a lot of the ski resorts are, and right now we're in the middle of a pretty good ski season here, you have to go through the Eisenhower Tunnel. Yep. And it is a tunnel on Interstate 70 that goes right underneath the Continental Divide. And it's actually shaped in the likeness of President Dwight <laughs> it's Eisenhower. definitely not. you got to come check it out. It's, it's definitely not shaped in, in the likeness of President Eisenhower. Um, it's Taft. It's, it's shaped like Taft. <laughs> nice and round. Rotund, <laughs> right. if you will. Right. Plenty of room. In fact, so much room that it has room for buses to go through. And Makes sense. A gentleman was riding a bus, a Greyhound bus, heading west to east. And before they passed through the tunnel, he was apparently causing some trouble on the bus. Uh Uh-oh. And, I mean, the name hasn't been released yet, but I'm going to go ahead and guess. And I'm going to say his name was Cornelius. No, of course. So he was on the bus, and he was causing trouble. And so the bus driver, before getting into the tunnel, pulled into a parking lot before the tunnel and kicked him off. Mm-hmm. And this is like, this is at elevation wow. and this is in winter. And so this guy must've been doing something pretty stupid, right? right? Yeah. So I wish I knew what, because right. it would only enhance his dumb criminal reputation. Uh, well, I'm sure the video footage is going to come out later, but yeah, well, I mean, we have footage of him being arrested. Um, but regardless, he gets kicked off a bus and just on the side of interstate 70 in the mountains. And so what he does is he crosses the lanes of traffic, and then he enters into the Eisenhower Tunnel. Very dangerous, by the way, if you know this tunnel. I mean, really dangerous. Really, really dangerous. It's a, it's a narrow tunnel, and, and we're talking highway speeds. Yeah, high-speed high traffic in a narrow tunnel. He goes in there, and, and space throughout, throughout the tunnel are um, fire extinguishers in case Uh-oh. there's an accident Uh-oh. in the tunnel. I think I see where this is going. <laughs> this this dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> pulls off fire extinguishers and starts spraying them at cars in a tunnel going westbound. So he's Ooh. he's just filling the tunnel with this 
fire extinguisher smoke, you know, foam as these cars are flying by, probably going like 70 plus miles an hour. Um, the tunnel, the whole tunnel had to be closed. And mind you, if, if I remember correctly on this story, this was at like three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, which if you know ski traffic in Colorado, you are talking about peak hours, yes. people who are coming back to Denver uh, from the weekend of skiing. So it's not like this was three o'clock on a Sunday ever, anywhere else. This right. is like rush hour traffic yes. in LA. This is huge traffic. And so he causes the tunnel to be shut down. He is finally contacted by sheriffs and Colorado state patrol. Um, he is uncooperative with them has to be taken down and he is now in custody. We still don't have words. This literally just happened, um, just a couple days ago. So I don't know what he's being charged. Let's play you with. be the prosecutor, Russ. What, 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 what kind of charges do you think we're looking at here? I mean, I'm trying to get to felony charges. There must've been property damage, right? I mean, well, there was damage to the, I mean, even just the, um, the, the releasing the extinguishers. Right. Right. That's, that's damage right there. Uh, theft too. Right. I mean, you know, you, you, you took that thing theft. off the wall. I, I can't mean, use it rec- again. Probably rec- has to be replaced. Reckless endangerment. Right. He's, he's, these cars could have easily crashed. Sure. Could have easily got into an accident because he's pissed about getting kicked off a bus. Yeah. Um, I mean, so I'm sure you could get to some felony charge. I don't think there were any accidents. If there were any accidents, that's an easy felony uh, right. right there. Yeah. Um, but multiple misdemeanors for sure, probable felonies. Um, so, uh, Colin, Not to mention you made the front page of the Denver Post. So, yeah. Um, How many knuckleheads? Okay. Well, I mean... It's, it's so interesting because at my last anger management class, they actually <laughs> taught us, look, if you're really, really upset, the best thing to do is just to grab a fire extinguisher Release. right off the wall and just Release. spray that sucker everywhere and you will just feel so much better. I don't think that's what they so, said. So, you know, he maybe went to the same class I did. So in a way, he might have just been following advice. But okay, so you first get kicked off the bus in the middle of the mountains in the winter um, on a Sunday where you don't have any other transportation. That right there is pretty stupid. Yes. And then you exercise your demons, so to speak, by going to the Eisenhower Tunnel and, um, you know, going wild with the spray cans and rush hour traffic, you know, delaying other people. Wow. Pretty darn stupid. Yet, for some reason, it doesn't feel like a five for me. I'm going to give it a four. Uh, That's a four on my scale. And I don't know why I'm giving the guy the benefit of one knucklehead. But maybe because he's a Coloradan. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll throw him a bone because of that. I mean, I'll tell you, it's it's so stupid. He must... I really wish I knew what he did to get kicked off the bus. Yeah, that's that, information we don't have, unfortunately. No, I know. And that uh, that had to have been a really... Whatever he did had to have been so stupid. Um, so for that alone, I bump him up a little. Um, uh, to your point, though, he was just blown off steam. Right. <laughs> 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 I'm going to go ahead and give him a four as well. I think, I think it's really stupid, but he's not the oh, stupidest criminal. Man. I mean, he's more of an angry criminal, Yeah, you yeah. know? So I don't maybe, think maybe there happened to be a car that was on fire passing by that <laughs> was extinguished. I, I, mean, I do maybe not. I do if not. If I'm his lawyer, so. I'm going to look for that. That's all I can say. <laughs> so someone was smoking a cigarette, <laughs> threw a cigarette out. It's Colorado, <laughs> more likely a joint, but whatever. Um, all right. So that's a, that's a DCOTW. And I, think we're going to call that a podcast, right, Russ? I think so. Everyone, uh, thoughts, wishes, hopes, prayers for the people of Ukraine. I really, hopefully Russia pulls out and ends this humanitarian crisis. Um, so our 
thoughts and prayers and wishes are with them. Anyone out there, as always, if you have anything, any feedback, any podcast ideas, shoot us a uh, tweet at Is This Legal Pod, Facebook at Hebbets McCallan, or find us online, HebbetsMcCallan.com. Email us, DenverCrimeLaw at Gmail. Uh, we will listen. So until next time, we're signing off. been listening to Is This Legal? See you next time.